You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. But in the meantime, I have the wonderful privilege of starting out uh, our new series. We just closed the series on Strong Healthy uh, Families, and we're going to start a new series called Mist, and it's primarily dealing with scriptures that we misunderstand, we misquote, we, uh, and uh, that we um, just kind of miss. And so uh, the, the idea is that we want to be a people who, uh, who treasure God's word and who accurately know what it means. And so if we can accurately understand it, we can accurately explain it, uh, because we don't want to misrepresent what God is saying. Uh, and that, at the end of the day, is our heart. I have, uh, you know, many of you who uh, you took an English class sometime in life, they understand, you know, that commas save lives, right? You know, let's eat, comma, grandma, or let's eat grandma, right? That comma can save grandma's life, right? But I want to give you some, I want to give you some, uh, some, some other uh, just uh, mis- misrepresentations or misunderstandings that I, I, that I came up with uh, this week. In Italy, a marketing campaign for Schweppes tonic water had it accidentally called Schweppes toilet water. <laughs> Would you buy that? No. Um, in Spain, before the Pope's visit, an enterprising local decided to make T-shirts that said in English, I saw the Pope, but due to a mistranslation, they were printed as, I saw the potato. <laughs> so nobody bought them, right? And my favorite one, when translated into Chinese, the Kentucky Fried Chicken slogan, finger licking good, came out as, eat your fingers off. <laughs> so <laughs> didn't turn out too great. So... The, the, why, why do I bring this up, besides the fact that it's always good to leave them laughing, is uh, we want to interpret Scripture faithfully. Uh, we don't want those things that I just talked about to, to happen in our life when we are uh, interpreting Scripture. So first off, uh, uh, just some keys, and the, I apologize, these aren't in your notes, because they got added late, uh, later than um, is the cutoff for getting your notes in, uh, and for the wonderful people to actually make them appear on the screens through magic. Um, first off, that whenever you're reading the Word, we need to come to God's Word in humility. Uh, we need to be. We need to understand that to be that to understand God's Word, we need the Holy Spirit to truly understand it. We have to come to it. The Holy Spirit allows us to interpret and to to bring out of the Scripture more than just the words, the meaning of what God is saying to us at that time. Those of us who have been walking with the Lord for a long time, you know, and you've been reading the Word for a long time, you know that you can read the same passage of Scripture. And it can mean something very different to you in the time that you're reading it. God can highlight certain things. And, we, and that's the Holy Spirit that does that work. The Holy Spirit uh, brings those things to our heart. Uh, and we have also have to understand in our, in our humility that our understanding of God will always be limited. We are incapable of completely understanding God's, God's character, his mind, his plan. And so we have to undergo into it understanding our limitations as human beings. Understanding that we can't understand Scripture faithfully without the Holy Spirit, and we need to rely on Him, but also that our, our human frailty and our human minds cannot completely understand the deep truths of God. Um, but uh, we will eventually be with Him in heaven, uh, glorified with Him in our new bodies, in our new minds that perhaps may understand more of what God has. Uh, secondly, we read from the text and not into the text. It's, it's important to understand that each and every one of us 
as, diffi- as much as we try not to, has certain biases or has certain, certain pre- uh, predispositions to, to see something a certain way, to, to believe a certain way, right? And there are, you can do through, you know, just being self-aware of where you're coming from, you can, you can do a lot to minimize those, but you can never get completely rid of them. So understand that when we read the text, that, is, that even our understanding of it is not perfect, um, that there are those things, those human things that get in the way of us understanding what God is saying. And that's why, actually, it's very important um, that we don't read into it, we don't read things in the text that's not there, but also that's why Bible studies are great. That's why um, having people together, all reading together and discussing it together is so important, because through that we get to see other people. Everyone has a certain lens to Scripture, and then by 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 dwelling on it and by talking about it and by bouncing it off of other people, we can come to a fuller understanding of it. Uh, we work to understand the context of Scripture as well. Uh, that's why I would, just a little practical things, when you're studying a specific verse, read the verses around that verse. Don't just fixate on that one verse because you can take things out of context in the Word, and people have, uh, you know, movements and religious fanatics and dictators and everything like that have justified themselves with, to themselves with the Bible or with the Koran or with whatever it is. Not that I'm saying that those things are the same because they are absolutely not. Um, but different, different texts, people have justified their actions different ways because they take them out of context and they don't read everything that God has given us. The, the, when, the, when the word was first written, it did not have verse numbers in it. It was written down by faithful men who were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so those, those verses help us to find things in them, but there, there are passages of Scripture that you need to read as passages of Scripture. And uh, we let Scripture interpret Scripture. We don't read a great book about a Scripture and then go read that Scripture. Uh, because there are a lot of people out there who are great theologians, but when you're looking at a verse, please first... Just look at it for what it actually says. Don't come to it with your predisposition of, okay, this is what I think this for. Or I, I, uh, I really believe this. Let me go find five or four or five verses that, that back me up uh, in my argument. Let's go in and read Scripture for what it is first, and then we can draw those meanings out of them. And we should always be reading Scripture with the intent to apply it to our lives. Okay? Uh, reading Scripture and digesting it is a good thing, but... Learning and knowledge for knowledge's sake puffs us up with pride. We need to be, when we read something, we are now, we need to be saying, God, I want to apply this to my life. I want to live this out, right? And so that's the, the overall intent. I'm not saying don't do Bible studies and don't understand the scripture, but understand it and chase after that with the intention to actually apply it to your life. Um, we, don't, we don't want to be puffed up. We don't want to just have a lot of knowledge about God. We want to know God, right? And that comes through reading his word, and also having a relationship with him. You know, I, can read, I could read my, my wife's journal if she kept one, and I would know a lot about her. But if I, by living with her every day and talking with her and spending time with her, I know her much better than you could if you read her journal, even her most intimate thoughts, um, because I'm spending time with her and I'm being with her in those moments. All right? Okay, so let's get into uh, the actual scripture that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, I and some of the other elders are going to be preaching over the next, you know, I don't know how many weeks, six, seven, eight weeks or something like that on specific verses in the Bible that we feel like are taken out of context or mistranslated. And each one of us has kind of our, our favorite ones. And this is one of my favorite ones. And I'm, I, my desire today is for this to be a very encouraging message to you. Uh, if you have taken this verse out of context, don't get down on yourself. Just don't do it again. 
Um, <laughs> that's what I tell, that's what I tell uh, my boys when they do something. It's like, hey, it's okay. It's okay. Just don't do it again. Um, but I, generally, this verse is mistranslated from a great heart, uh, but we need to give it all of the heart that God has into the verse and not just our own heart that's in the verse. And that is Romans 8, 28. It's a very famous verse in the Bible. I'll read it in two different versions, depending on what you're familiar with. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. In the NIV, it's, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And so this, this verse is often quoted, often quoted as, don't worry, all things work together for good, yeah. Right? And that's the heart that people, I've, I've used this many times myself to comfort somebody who was going through something and saying, oh, all things work together for good. But we need to understand the verse a little bit more of what it's saying. Uh, that heart is there, uh, but, but we need to understand a little bit more about it. Uh, first off, what does this promise really mean? We're going to get into it. This is a promise. We're going to find out what it really means. What are, the first thing we're going to do, we're going to read the context of this scripture. We are going to read the passage that it is in. Because you'll see, as we read the verses that lead up to this, it characterizes and gives us a fuller meaning of what he is saying in this verse. So we're going to start in Romans 8, verse 18, and we're going to dive into the scripture. For I consider, and this is Paul writing to the Romans, and who are the Romans? Well, we're actually all Romans because Romans were anyone who was not a Jew. So unless you are Jewish, and some of us have Jewish ancestry or whatever, but we're generally, I'm speaking to a room full of Romans or Gentiles who have been grafted into uh, the family of God. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And, okay, I'm gonna, this takes a lot of self-control because I could stop on every single one of these verses and we could have just, like, go. Uh, because there's so much in this chapter that is absolutely rich. Romans is just like, it's a, it's a treasure trove. Uh, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation that was subjected to futility, not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I'm going to pause for a moment here. What he's talking about is he's saying, we are in this fallen, corrupted world, this world that is under sin, and it groans. And we groan knowing the wonderful thing that we have to look forward to, right? He says that right there. He says, but we ourselves, who have the, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies, right? That is when we transition out of this life, the redemption of our bodies. We actually, uh, what he's, he's giving us this heart of, we're just impatient. We're impatient to get off of this earth and into, and into what God has for us, right? I mean, what an incredible thing. What an incredible thing to, to believe so strongly and to, so it, that, that, that we have this wonderful promise ahead of us. And Mark said it, it, doesn't, it doesn't start there. It starts here. The, the process of salvation, the process of sanctification starts here. But what a wonderful thing we have to look forward to. I, I will admit to you, I'll be very honest, that is a hard concept for me because I like this place. <laughs> I like it. I love my friends. I love my family. I love this church. But to understand God's plan enough that I would actually say, oh man, this is just kind of a, a sideline while I'm here. I'm so looking forward to what God has. I pray that that be in my heart more consistently in the future. Um, 
I'm, I'm definitely on with the redemption of our bodies thing, though, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Those creaks in the morning, you know, they're going to be gone. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, but, but for whoever, for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, and we're getting right into the verses leading up to this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for, or we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. According to the will of who? According to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And so this verse is the capstone of a section where they are talking, where Paul is writing about the fallenness and the corruption of this world, but how we have a wonderful hope of where to go, and how, our, and how we, we hope so much for the future, and we hope so much for what God has for us, and we endure what is now and what is, what is now. So it changes a bit of the context of this verse, where you understand that this, he's writing this to people who understand the suffering of this world. They understand suffering for the gospel. They were being persecuted. The church is being persecuted. People were being killed. People were being tortured. And, and he's saying to them, he's saying, don't worry, don't worry. These things will work together for good. They'll work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So the second question I have today in the notes is, do, thing, do all things work together for good for everyone? And the answer is no, they don't. All things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, right? So if you're using this verse to comfort, and I know it comes from a great place, But if you're using this verse to comfort somebody who is not a Christian, it is not appropriate. And and it's not because it says for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. How do we know those who love the Lord? He says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So those who are of us who, and we're not always all obedient all the time. Raise your hand if you're perfect. Okay, exactly. But we understand there's a heart. And I understand when when, when I'm raising my kids, right, it's not about the rule that they broke, it's the heart that they had. They can be obedient with the wrong heart or they can, be obe- or they can, they can disobey out of, out of a, a, a desire not, not, to, not, not to have that heart. So it is about the heart, a heart of chasing after God, a heart of being where he wants you to be and where he's called you to be. For those people, he will bring these things together for good. And so the, why, do, why am I... Why is this the verse that I chose? Because, friends, I, I feel like when we, when we use the word of God inappropriately, we actually drive a wedge between those people and God. Yes. Because if we're telling people through a great heart, through our mercy and compassion, which is a wonderful thing, those are characteristics that God has. They're not weakness. They're characteristics that God has. And we're saying, friend, all things will work together for good. And the, the phone rings and the cancer's back or their marriage of 30 years is falling apart, or they get fired for no good reason, I'm telling you, those, rings are, those words are going to ring really hollow. And they're going to cry out to God and say, God, you said all things will work together for good. And he didn't say that. And so this is the heart of why we are launching into this, 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 this series on really understanding the word of God, because we don't want to drive that wedge. Because God is faithful to his word. 
He does not change. He comes through on his word. We need to understand what his word says so that when we explain to people what his word says, he is consistent with what his word says. He's not doesn't become consistent with what we claim his word says. He is consistent with what he said. So we're going to get into a little bit more of, of, of what he's actually saying here. Um, what is the good that Paul is talking about in here? It's not necessarily the good that we would want it to be. Now, God's not a mean guy. He loves us. He loves us dearly. He sent his son to, to ransom us from, from a, 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 an eternity of not being in his presence. But he is... He's, not, he's about something. He's about something going on in this world right now. It says in Romans 8, 29, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And I, I know this verse is loaded with stuff. I'm not going to get into all of that. But I'm going to focus on to be conformed to the image of his son. The good that Paul is speaking of is this process of sanctification and of us becoming like Christ. He says, don't worry, church, that is enduring suffering. God will work these things together in you for good to be conformed to the image of Christ. I'm going to use these things to, to, uh, to purify you, to teach you, to, to make you more effective witnesses on this world. In this world, Because why? why is this whole process going on? Why do we not just get raptured when, we are, when we're saved? Because we have a job to do. We know this year our... Our focus is go, therefore, and that's taken out of the Great Commission. The Great Commission is given to us as our job to do on this earth while we're here, right? We're saved. We're, we're in the process of being sanctified. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit so that we can do something with it, not just hang around and have potlucks. I love potlucks, though. So, thank you, God, that you gave us potlucks in addition to the Great Commission. And let's read the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. So if you want to turn there... Um, now the 11 disciples, and we're, again, we're going to read this. We're not just going to read the verse. We're going to read it in a bit of context. Uh, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So first off, he's letting you know, I'm, gonna, I'm commissioning you, but, I'm, but you can't be commissioned by just some random person on the street. You know, I just walk up to people and be like, hey, Michael, I'm commissioning you to clean out my truck before second service. Can you do that? I got, you know, I got some stuff in there, right? No, I don't have the authority to do that, right? Jesus is saying, I, all authority has been given to me. So when I'm giving you this commission, I'm giving you this commission with the full weight of my Father behind me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so he's... The good that he's talking about is us being transformed into the image of Christ and fulfilling the Great Commission. Because while our Father in Heaven cares deeply for us, He also cares, he cares deeply for us, but He also has that level of caring for everybody else out there who doesn't know about Him. And so through His love, He has in the past and will continue to sometimes sacrifice our comfort for the fulfillment of that Great Commission. Sacrifice and if we're going to be on board with him, we have to understand that. You know, uh, Kobe Bryant is quoted as saying, you know, Kobe Bryant won a lot of championships. Uh, great basketball player, played for the wrong team, but he's still a great basketball player. Um, and probably should have retired last year, not this year. But, but anyway, he said, friends come and go, but banners hang forever. And that's not, I'm not saying that that's God. 
But understand a bit of that, of there's the mission that we're on that needs to be accomplished because God could stop right now and he could spend all of his time making sure that we all live a comfortable life and just protect us and we would be the remnant and then everyone else would go to hell and then we would be we'd be sitting hunky-dory, right? That's not God's heart. He says, you, you, your future is secure. Your eternal address is already penned in the yellow pages or the, the white pages of heaven, right? You're, you're taken care of. You're good. There are a lot of people out, 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 out there that we want to change their address, okay? And so he's about that. That is his primary motivation on this earth. <laughs> We are partnering with him in that. And so that's the good that he's speaking of. The good that he's speaking of is this greater good of us reaching the world wherever they are. Amen? Amen. All right, we're going to... So we need to remember, uh, we want to apply this to our lives. First off, that God, the good is defined by God and not by our desires, right? right. It, would be so much e- <laughs> it would be so much easier... If I could just, you know, submit my application in triplicate and say, and God says, define, so what's good look like for you? And I write my little thing and he goes, okay, well, that's your good. You know, let's, let's haggle back and forth. You know, okay, yeah, that sounds fine. You know, bass fishing, a bass boat and, you know, I'll keep Jenkinson pretty high three weeks, uh, three years out of five. Sure. Okay. We'll, we'll agree to that. (laughs) I'm telling you though, Logan with that bass boat on Jenkinson I'd love to do that every once in a while, but if I had all of that, I probably wouldn't be, I probably wouldn't be very good for the kingdom, because so I would just be hanging out. Um, no, the good that he, that he has defined is the kingdom advancing and souls being saved. We have to get this. We have to understand that no matter... Our, what's going on in our life can be tough right now, but we are the lucky ones already, even in the midst of the things that happen, the struggles, the the struggles in work, the struggles in life, the struggles with family and relationships, we're already blessed. We are already so blessed if we know him as our savior. Now, if that's not you, you can become blessed by knowing him as your savior. Because the go, therefore, is for you. We are commissioned here today to go out into the world and even to be here and to bring people here so that you may learn about your Savior. You may learn about how much he loves you, that he gave everything to, remain, to bring him, you back into relationship with him, and he wants to commission you as well and give you the fulfillment of a purpose in your life. Is it going to make you comfortable all the time? No. But comfort versus fulfillment, that's the decision that we have to make as Christians right? Fulfillment of our purpose and fulfillment of the great commission that we've been given, right? Comfort comes and goes, to paraphrase, but that kingdom banner will hang forever, and we will be in heaven with those that we lay down our life to bring with us, and I, I want those people there. I want as many as will listen to listen. I want to lay down my life so that they have a chance to gain eternal life, amen? All right, uh, a, a great example of this, uh, Steve has spoken about this before, is the five missionaries who went to minister to the Aka Indians, right? Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, Ed McCulley, Peter Fleming, and Roger Uterane. Udorian? Oh my gosh, sorry buddy, I totally butchered that. Uh, if you're not familiar with the story, they had been trying to make inroads to, it was one of, the, one of these 
uh, people groups that had that had not been um, that had not been reached for the gospel, and they were trying to learn the language. It was an unknown language. They were flying around. They were dropping leaflets. They were dropping. They were dropping uh, presents and food and all kinds of things to try to maintain to try to open up relationships with these with these Indians. Um, and they finally they, their their plane landed and they got out. And it looked like things were going to go pretty well, but they they actually ended up seeing it as kind of a provocation, and they ended up killing all five of the missionaries. And it was very very vivid right there on the beach. They basically speared him and hacked him to pieces. Now I'm telling you, in that moment, that did not seem very good. And if their widows and their children had been, had been comforted with, well, all things work together for good, you know, all things are going to end up hunky-dory for you, that doesn't ring true. But we look at the grand scheme, we look at the big picture of the kingdom advancing, and later on, years and years later, the, the widows and the children of those missionaries made huge inroads into that population and actually brought many of them to Christ. And actually, the, the, them understanding that they, had, that they had done something horrible actually led them to understanding the idea that they needed to repent and they needed a Savior. And so God used that for good. I'd say that, that unequivocally we would say that, that many, many people hearing about Jesus and having an opportunity to repent and have a relationship with Him is a good thing. But oftentimes we can say that in the past. We go, oh, that, yeah, that, that turned together for good. But the trick is in the present to understand that God's character has always God's character. And his methodology is his methodology. He will work these things together for good for his kingdom. And if we're on board with him, he'll take care of us. Will he lay down our life if it will lead to, to, uh, to many being reached? Absolutely. We have to be okay with that because that's what we do every day. We lay our life down a little bit every day so that more people can know about him. Uh, God can use evil for good outcomes. Um, he's actually a specialist in that. Let's think about the crucifixion. That did not seem very good. Jesus, the night before, was praying and saying, if you would, let this cup pass from me. He knew it was going to be terrible. But God used that as the most beautiful thing that has ever happened on this earth. Him being crucified and us being able to be made right with the Father. So he's, he's a specialist in that. Acts four twenty seven through 28 says, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So God actually allowed, he orchestrated those events to happen that seem horrible because he loved us and because he wanted things to work together for the real good of this earth. Look at the persecution of the early church. You, know, you have the church and you got all these people saved. They're all passionate about him. They got this 5,000 or 10,000 person church. Things are going great. They got their own mic, you know, leading worship. And they've, you know, they've got all kinds of great stuff going on. They've got their Tyler, you know, doing children's ministry and everything like that. They're like, oh, this, this is pretty sweet. And then they start getting persecuted. And, you know, Paul, he knows firsthand. He's, he's writing about it. He's the one doing it. Um, not our Paul, but, you know, Saul at the time. And, uh, and, what did, the per- what did that persecution of the early church do, though? Without that, they would have hung out there probably for a long time. We, l- we like to be comfortable. You know, we like to be, oh, this is great. This church is fantastic. But the persecution of the church drove them to leave and to take the message of the gospel out to the world. And aren't we happy that that happened? Yeah. Aren't we happy over here, like almost completely opposite the other side of the globe, that some people got really uncomfortable where they were and went somewhere else and then told people about Jesus? Yeah. That's... It's a great thing. God is interested more in transforming our character. 
He's more, more interested in transforming our character than he is in us living a comfortable life. And I'm, I'm not like in a war against comfort. I like my, I like my easy chair. It's in storage right now uh, because <laughs> Amanda and I are still homeless. Uh, we're taken care of, though. Um, her parents' uh, couch is not nearly as, as comfortable as, as ours. So, you know, I'm not going to say that's persecution. I, I, I understand. I like comfort. I'm not, I'm not saying it's bad to be comfortable, um, but we can't let comfort become higher to us than fulfilling the, the call of Christ in our lives. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He makes that commitment to us. When we come to know him and we, we are saved and we receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit, he makes a contract with us and he says, I'm not done with you. And aren't we glad that, he, that he's not? That he... I, I like constant improvement. I don't know about you guys. It doesn't always, it's not always the most fun thing in the world, but I like things consistently improving. I like the fact that, you know, some of you classic car nuts will probably, you know, kill me, but, you know, I, 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 my first car was a 65 Mustang, right? And I, it was great. It was a beater, but it was great. It was mine. And you couldn't eat in it or put your feet, or muddy feet in it or anything like that, even though it was a beater. Um, and I'm telling you, then I, owned a, then I owned a 2005 Mustang, right? Which I eventually sold to because I decided that I, you know, I was going to be a responsible adult. Um, we had a third kid, and there's just no way to get a car seat back in there. I'm telling you, they did a lot of work in 40 years. That's, that 2005 Mustang was a lot nicer than my 65 Mustang. I'm glad that Ford understands the concept of continuous improvement. And I'm hoping that me, 40 years later, after when I'm... 43 or 44, and I've known the Lord for 40 years, I'm hoping that I'm a better model than I am when I was four. Now, I've obviously had some off-road miles. Um, I'll I'll, I'll show the miles, but hopefully I will be improved. And that's the commitment that God makes to us, that he is not done with us. He's not going to leave us nor forsake us. But when he's with us, we are going to be consistently being conformed to the image of his son, because that's perfection. That's what the aim is. That's what the goal is. If you said yes to Jesus, and you can say yes to him today, if you said yes to, to, yes to, to Jesus, you said yes to becoming transformed into the image of Christ. And he's going to continue to do it. because He made that commitment to us, and he always falls through on his word. Sometimes we go, oh, Lord Jesus, please give me a break. Just stop the, just stop the sanctification process for a second here. And sometimes, sometimes he will. He'll give you a break. But he's never going to leave you and not come back and be finishing that little thing, sanding that little thing. Any of you who've owned a house, you know, until you sell that thing, it probably doesn't, you know, you're finishing those little projects up to the, when, when, when we, our house finally sold, we were in there the, the day that it was closing. It was probably not even our house anymore at that point. And I'm, I'm down there finishing some areas on the, you know, because after we moved our furniture, there's some areas, oh, no, 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 I got to fix that. I got to fix that. I got to fix that. That's how the Lord is with us. Until the day that we are either raptured into his presence or we die, he will be working on us. And that's a good thing. So our response, we should always ask ourselves, what is God speaking to me? Oftentimes, I'll get up here and I'll give a sermon and I'll talk to somebody afterwards and it was something totally different than what I said. Mac and I were talking about that today. And that's great because the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is going to do in your heart is way more important than what I'm saying. Um, but every time we come in here, whether you've been walking with the Lord for a long time and all of this is just total milk to you, or you're a new believer, or you're not a believer yet, and this is way, way over your head and you don't know what's going on, 
allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart and to tell you, this is what I'm trying to say to you today. Um, because that's the great thing about it is he's always alive and he knows what you need and where you're at. And specifically, how am I going to obey him? How am I going to, if he's going to call me to something, if he's going to call me to something more or to something different, I need to be in a heart of obedience because that is how we demonstrate our love for him is we demonstrate our love through our obedience to his commands. Amen? All right, pray with me, please. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how powerful it is. Lord, our desire is to understand your word, is to rightly divide it, to, um, to use it uh, effectively as, as a weapon against this world and against the devil. But Lord, we need to understand it. And we know the understanding comes through you. It comes through your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, I pray for everyone here as we read your, your scripture. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be on us, would be in us. And Lord, that we would um, do everything that we do with a heart to want to partner with you in this wonderful work that you've seen fit to partner with us in. Amen.